This is IAQ Radio, indoor air quality radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. We've got a great show for you today on episode number 550. This week, we welcome the restoration lawyer, Ed Cross, Charlie Cassani, and Dave Robbins. We're calling this Maturing of the Industry, part three of a four-part series. This week, we're going to talk about the rise of the AGA. The AGA is RIA's Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee, and we've got the chair and two members of the committee joining us here today. But before we get started, we want to thank our platinum sponsor, IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML Inc. Laboratory. And of course, our association sponsors, Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to John Lapotere, IQ Solutions, Orlando, Florida, for being first to identify the year 1939 as the year the AIHA was founded. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, Friday, June 14, 2019, has been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's trivia question. What is the origin of the term lobbying? Back to you, Joe. All right, Cliff. Great show today. We're going to do some quick intros. We've got Ed Cross, the restoration lawyer, has built a successful law practice that specially caters to the needs of insurance damage repair contractors and remediators. Ed is well known for his risk management advice cleaning and restoration contracts and related forms available from and or for purchase on his website at edcross.com. Ed is the chair of RIA's Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee. Charles Cassani has acquired a unique skill set of technical knowledge and experience gained over his four plus decades of involvement in the disaster restoration industry. He has a unique historical perspective, having successfully navigated through many industry changes. He owned and operated a national cleaning and restoration franchise and now serves as analytical specialist at Restoration Management Company. Cassani's experience includes being a California licensed general contractor and a California approved provider of insurance continuation credits. Cassani's commitment to volunteerism is evidence from his service on RIA's Certified Restore Redevelopment Committee, which produced the cleaning and restoration industry's first body of knowledge, officially called the Certified Restore Body of Knowledge, the complete guide for those pursuing excellence in restoration, education, and training. Presently, Cassani's volunteer work with the Restoration Industry Association is as a member of RIA's Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee. And we've got Dave Robbins, an industry veteran and licensed general contractor with more than 30 years of experience in the commercial restoration industry. Dave is the owner and vice president of SRP Contractors, a large-scale restoration firm operating throughout the Southeast. SRP is a longtime RIA member and a three-time Phoenix Award winner. They currently have offices in Memphis, Nashville, and Little Rock. Gentlemen, do we have you on the line? Yes, sir. I'm here. Thank you, guys. We are here. Thank you, Radio Joe and the Z-Man. <laughs> Let's start with you, restoration lawyer Ed Cross. Ed, uh, you know, you're, you're the chair of this new uh, 
committee here, and I wonder who is the who's the constituency who you know who are the who will the AGA, the Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee, be lobbying for? Hi, Joe. Uh, thank you very much for asking that question. It's really an important one. I want to dispel any confusion about this. The AGA is there for contractors. Okay, there were other groups that. Uh, served as kind of one big tent where different industry players would get together and share ideas. That's not what this is. We're here for contractors. Gotcha. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Thanks. Well, let's do another one, Ed. You know, what makes you think the restoration industry wants, needs, or is prepared for advocacy? Well, it's because more and more lately, Cliff, I'm getting calls from my restoration contractor clients telling me about all the troubles with TPAs, with third-party building consultants, with uh, standardized pricing platforms, and they're telling me it's getting worse and worse and worse, and there seems to be a general decay that's underway. We're seeing some of the best and brightest being driven out of the industry, and in my state in California, uh, there's a major office up north uh, that just got closed recently, and a lot of employees were out on the street uh, looking for a job because that office was too reliant on work from TPAs. The profit margins uh, were thin or they dissolved entirely and they couldn't keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. Joe? Let's go over to Charlie. Charlie, you've been around quite a way. I don't, I, this question says you're the old dog in the fight, but I don't know that I want to agree with that or not. Uh, but why do you think the restoration industry needs advocacy. Ed's coming at it from, you know, his clients as an attorney, but you're a, you're a restoration contractor. What, uh, what do you see out there? You know, Joe, it's a, it's an interesting question because I think I mentioned this at the uh, town hall meeting in the time I've been in both organizations, the IICRC and RIA, I never imagined that they would, unite under a single banner. And I think it's really for a good cause. Uh, you know, the, the, the polling that we did there, the biggest thing that came up was the fact that how fragmented the industry is. And I think, you know, there's always strength in numbers. And I think uh, because of Mark's vision, we have a good idea of how to put this together and uh, make it work. Ed's leadership is really important. And I think we've got some great people on the uh, committee to do that work. I think it's a very necessary thing right now. And I'm pleased, you know, after four decades to see something like this happen. All right. My engineer's scrambling to get your photo up there, Charlie. We'll have you up in a minute anyway, but uh, Charlie's joining us on the phone. Let's go over to Dave Robbins. Dave, I wonder if you could maybe comment on the, you know, uh, the same question and also let us know why you agreed to serve on this, uh, this important committee. (laughs) Well, Well, I'll tell you, Joe, I didn't, I didn't just agree to to serve on the committee. I I, I sought out the opportunity to do so and very grateful for that opportunity. This this isn't just about giving back to an industry that's not only taken care of me, but but also this is an industry that uh, in Memphis, my grandfather founded the first restoration industry back in 62. So Mm -hmm. this is not just about giving back this. This is about the preservation of, of this industry, not just for contractors today, but for future generations. I'm proud to be a part of this. You know, Dave, I'm wondering, you, you're presently operating out of several cities. Um, how, you know, how much are the issues that we're talking about affecting your business? Uh, do you depend at all on the TPAs or do you not work with that or? You know what? We don't do any program work. We're large loss commercial. We don't do any program work today, but we work alongside all of the other contractors in our community and the states that we work in. And we hear the feedback on a, on a daily basis about the egregious abuse of power uh, from, you know, not only the building consultants, but you're working with TPAs that uh, basically are, um, uh, you know, very entry-level adjusters at best that are critiquing veteran contractors about uh, how to write a scope of work, what pricing format they should use. And it's, again, it's just an egregious abuse of power. And it's something that we're here to protect and uh, the rights of the contractors that are out there across the nation. Okay. Cliff, let me turn it back over to you. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, 
I guess this probably goes to Ed. Um, I'm really not sure how TPAs got started, you know, because, you know, when you look at a standard insurance policy, nowhere in that policy does it say competitive bid. Nowhere does it say cheapest price. And, you know, I, I don't know where they get the legal grounds to adjust your bill after the fact. Yeah, that's a good point. And one thing that I think a lot of people uh, sometimes lose sight of, Cliff, is the fact that the insurance companies have an obligation to pay the usual and customary cost of the work. And unfortunately, with some adjusters and some TPAs, that gets twisted into an argument that the price should be the very lowest rock bottom price that somebody will do it for uh, in that particular market. Um, we don't want to lose sight of the fact, however, that in some of these instances, um, there are contractors who are not doing things right and who need some education on some of these issues. And you know, we pose a question sometimes, would there even be a need for third-party uh, building consultants in the first place if all the contractors were doing things in the way that they should. And RIA's goal is to educate larger masses in order to prevent that sort of problem and, and restore a level playing field, more like what we had decades ago. You know, what concerns me is I was speaking to a restoration contractor yesterday who only does contents. And he was complaining about a TPA on a loss going through the bill and wanting to put everything on time and material and, and, and so on and so forth. And I know that this really started with water damage, but now this is, you know, it seems to be going across the board. Is, is this something that's going on on a national basis or is this something just that's going on in the, I, I guess he's in mid-Atlantic states? Yeah, no, it is going on on a national basis and uh, they're gaining more and more momentum. And so now more than ever, restorers need to, uh, stand up and unite and speak with one voice. And um, has this also happened in other industries? Yes, as a matter of fact, the auto uh, repair industry uh, took a stand against insurance companies who were uh, imposing what the uh, repair shops thought were unreasonably low prices uh, for certain types of work, and um, and they were successful with that. And we are going to do our best not to try to reinvent the wheel and to look what uh, other associations and other industries have done. One one more question, Ed. How, you know, what makes you think the restoration industry wants or, or is prepared for this type of advocacy? Well, you know, like I said, because of this steady uh, state of decay that's going on, the thinning profit margins, offices closing up, um, I, I think it's a very good time. And some of these TPAs are starting to have difficulty uh, getting contractors and vendors in certain markets uh, who will serve them. And other contractors who are remaining on the programs are shrinking the geographic scope of jobs that they will accept because those profit margins are so thin and they want to avoid excess travel expenses. Charlie, uh, are, you've been around RIA for a long time, and I, I think you feel like they are uniquely positioned to advocate for the industry. Can you tell listeners why you feel RIA is the right group to be, uh, to have this type of committee, the advocacy and government affairs committee? Well, you know, um, I think it was Pete that started it and then Cliff picked up the theme of the old dog, but RIA is the old dog of the industry. You know, they've been around the longest. I think they have the best education programs um, you know, I started out as an IICRC certified uh, carpet cleaner, um, went to Fresno, California, and Wanda York's place where Tony was the instructor. And I did that. And then I ran into Pete and Pete uh, pulled me up to a RIA convention in Reno. And it kind of opened my mind to a lot of really advanced ideas. And then, of course, Marty King was there. So I, I've always... Uh, subscribe to the idea that the 
the technical side of our industry should drive, you know, how we do the work. And Marty's idea was the more we educate our competitors and lift their uh, body of knowledge, the more it will help the industry in, in general. And I think this is an opportunity to really do that. So in some ways, I'm looking at this as playing out Marty's vision. Interesting. Dave, what, what do you want? You know, there are the, you've got the RIA members, but obviously they're not, you know, everyone in the industry. You've got a much larger industry at large. What do you want non-RIA members to know about the AGA? Well, simply put, I think that we want to know, we want everyone to know that, that the AGA is here for, for all restorers, all professional restorers out in the industry. And, you know, the, the, uh, the challenge is going to be to get the word out to everyone that the AGA, you know, obviously is going to provide the, the type of representation that's going to help them with the struggles that they deal with day to day. I think it's going to be uh, uh, well received once the word gets out there, but, uh, and also that, the AGA's efforts are going to positively impact every professional professional restorer that's 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 in the industry today. I think it's very important that they know that. And again, the challenge is just going to be getting the word out. And Ed, I, I think I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to make sure that we we kind of emphasize this: the the opponents or the the I don't know if we'll call them the opponents, but the other parties that restoration contractors deal with they are advocating for their own needs, aren't they? And, and can you tell listeners a little bit more about that and, and how they advocate for their, uh, their I guess, clients? I want to echo what Dave was talking about a moment ago uh, about the unequal bargaining power and the, the abusive power that's going on. And uh, it takes just a, a second on Google to see the massive surpluses that the insurance industry has in cash right now, and their profit margins are going up while restoration contractors' uh, profit margins are, uh, are going down. And, uh, and that's uh, really uh, a sad state of affairs. And so um, Dave Robbins is doing a great job uh, with his subcommittee on uh, pricing, and um, Charlie is on a subcommittee uh, for fundraising, and um, we uh, are very excited about um, what's gonna be happening uh, coming up. And one thing we need to pay very close attention to is what just happened in Florida. The insurance industry mounted a major lobbying effort against restoration contractors and they won. They, they annihilated the assignment of benefits down there and got a law passed very, very favorable to insurance companies and very unfavorable to restoration contractors. So this is kind of a way for restoration contractors to uh, work together, whether they're RIA members or not, to kind of uh, maybe level the playing field a little bit because the the insurance companies have that big lobby behind them. Yes, but it, it really is important to emphasize that uh, restorers need to join the RIA. Okay, we need to join forces and, uh, and get involved on a larger scale. And there are thousands of restoration contractors out there who are not yet members. And we urge everybody uh, to get onto the RIA uh, website. Go ahead and become a full-fledged member. And, and Charlie, I, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you started out doing IICRC. By the way, I believe... Uh, the, the, the instructor for your course was the answer to one of Cliff's recent trivia questions. I believe he was the first IICRC instructor. Is that right, Cliff? That is correct. All right. Ron Tony, did you say? Yeah, Ron Tony. All right. But anyway, Charlie. Excellent, excellent, excellent guy. Yeah, he is. He's a good yeah. guy. He's fun. I, I think a lot of people feel like, you know, they're a member of the IICRC, and there's, there's really no membership there. So really the, the membership group, uh, would be the RIA, and, and I think it's important that uh, you get people involved with your effort, but also get involved with, within the RIA. Um, what what do you hope, Charlie, this is to you, what do you hope this advocacy will, will change for folks like you that, you know, run these companies? I mean, what, what type of change do you hope to see? 
Boy, it's a, that's a multidimensional uh, question. Um, I think the biggest thing is just that there uh, might be some sort of a, a united front that, you know, actually advocates, uh, advocates and, and uh, lobbies for uh, a more level playing field for restoration professionals. Um, as it is right now, you know, we don't have a lot of leverage uh, divided as we stand. And I think if we, if there is a united front, uh, I'm very encouraged at what uh, Ed mentioned, that's the PERC issue, the property insurance restoration uh, for, uh, forum. I think that's a great idea. And I have been attending those meetings because of that. So I would think that if we could do replicate what the auto industry did, it would help us tremendously get uh, into one system. Hmm. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Well, I, I guess, have you ever thought uh, of doing something by uniting with the auto industry? Because, you know, contractors in, in, in one service area for insurance companies, contractors in another, seeing how they've already got it going, it would almost seem that, might make sense to, you know, join efforts with them. Yeah, I mean, I think we can definitely learn by example. Uh, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew and uh, get off of our focus. And that's one thing that we want everybody to know now is that the RIA is going to stay keenly focused on a specific mission and not, uh, not get distracted with side issues. You know, you mentioned, um, and I want to turn this over to Dave. Uh, Ed mentioned the, a pricing subcommittee. What What is the pricing subcommittee doing, Dave? Well, you know, currently we're preparing some information. We're doing some research and preparing information for for Ed to um, um, to take with him when he visits with the good folks at Xactimate to talk to them about um, uh, several different several different topics, but. Currently, we're really focused on that, and I can I can expound on that if you'd like. Well, let's let's shoot. Over. Yes, I'd like that. But also, before we do, let's shoot over to Ed for just a moment. Ed, pricing is a um, a touchy subject, uh, both you know for restoration contractors, but also for associations. Uh, you have to be careful in how you handle that topic. Can you talk a little bit about that for listeners? Yeah, you know, you have to be careful about how you handle it. But you know what? The, the time for a milk toast attitude is over. And RIA is now um, in a position where we are going to be a lot more assertive about these sorts of things. We're going to be taking specific positions on, uh, on key issues that are in dispute. For example, uh, we're, we're deeply into an analysis right now about overhead and where does this concept of 10% overhead come from? And what a lot of people don't realize is that Xactimate does not mandate 10%. Xactimate never said, oh yeah, it's supposed to be 10% or they think that's fair. And what we know is for most contractors, their overhead is a lot more than 10%. So um, we are, uh, th there's going to be a new attitude uh, from RIA coming with specific positions on controversial issues, and it's going to be a, a new face to RIA like people have never seen before. Well, Ed, Dave, Ed, no, go ahead, Dave. Oh, go ahead, Cliff. Oh, Ed, speaking of that, you know, it's been, I don't know, six, eight weeks, something like the AGA's been meeting and operating and so on and so forth, and I'm an old dog like Charlie. I'm, I'm older than him, and I'm probably more impatient than him, so... <laughs> What I'd like to know is, you know, can you report anything? You know, like what's going on? What's been accomplished? Uh, you know, has, has anything uh, of significance occurred? Yeah, a lot of things of significance have occurred and are occurring on a weekly basis. Uh, we are in the process of gathering the three key components uh, that we need for uh, this initiative to succeed. We need people, we need ideas, and we need money. Okay, the people are going to do the volunteer work, they're going to do the research and, uh, and the outreach. We need ideas about uh, which uh, issues are most important and we are triaging those. We need money in the form of investments, which people can make right now on 
the uh, RIA website, uh, and that's going to go toward uh, research and experts. We have formed a fundraising committee, uh, and I'm delighted to report to everybody that Warner Cruz of JC Restoration is the chairman of the, uh, the fundraising committee and is putting together a fantastic uh, team of people on that end. Uh, we've got uh, Dave Robbins, who is handling uh, the pricing end of it. We have arranged for a meeting coming up, uh, as was alluded to uh, with Exactware, where we're going to sit down and roll up our sleeves and talk about uh, some of these uh, perceptions that uh, restorers have about errors and omissions and misleading things uh, in the software and what Exactware can do to, um, to convey to the insurance industry more accurately how that software uh, is supposed to be used. We have collected uh, commitments from nearly 100 uh, restorers all across the country for uh, things they want to do to help uh, contribute, and they're putting the word out. We've established uh, a social media presence, and we are in the process of formulating uh, the initial plans that will ultimately lead to a lobbying effort and a lot of other things. I don't want to commandeer all the time here, but uh, okay. that's that's a short overview of it. And we've raised a significant amount of money, by the way, already. Good. And, and good. We just we've just started to scratch the surface of this. Good. 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 Let's let's go to Charlie on that. Charlie, what what is your um, are you satisfied so far with RIA member response to this new AGA committee? Yeah, it was a little surprising to me to see how um, how effective it really was. And I had a nice talk with Mark Springer about this, and um, we talked about the fact that you know right now we're looking for small investments, and they started out with um, if every RIA member contributed a hundred dollars, it would fund us for the first six months to a year. So it's not a lot of money that's being requested. It's more or less the involvement and um, with the investments we're hoping to be able to show them some results and then we can move forward with uh, I think the larger contributions that I think are out there. Um, so that's you know we're, we're just at the beginning of that Joe but I'm really happy to tell you that it's it's been a really a successful campaign so far. Great. Dave you you had mentioned that you could expand a little on the pricing subcommittee. I maybe you know I know Ed touched on that uh, pretty well, but I want to make sure you get a chance to add anything that maybe Ed missed. Well, as far as I think Ed covered it pretty well, but specifically there are some things that we are doing to uh, just provide some hard data, uh, some insights so that we can ultimately better educate the, the contractors that are out there today so that not only they know what they're up against, but we're going to give them the, uh, uh, enough information so they can make great decisions moving forward on how they're going to handle their business, how they're going to handle the people that are challenging them on a daily basis, and just to improve their overall quality of life as it relates to the work that they perform every day. How I'm not uh, that familiar with RIA's um, educational program. I'm somewhat familiar, but I'm wondering how will you get this information out to the members? What form are you planning? Do you have uh, you know, like webinars going on or are you sending it out maybe in the uh, magazine? How do you plan on getting this information you're collecting out to the membership? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, we do have uh, a webinar uh, that's coming up and I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, this is being put on, of course, by RIA. And uh, we hope that everybody's going to be able to uh, log on and participate in that. It's going to be on Thursday, June 27th, uh, coming up. And uh, that's uh, 10 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, but if you go onto the RIA website, you can get the whole scoop on that. And we've, we're going to have to go to break for lunch uh, for halftime, not lunch for halftime here in a moment. But before we do, there's, you know, there's a question I noticed on here. That, what is the initial focus of the AGA? So, you, you know, there's a lot of neat, great things you'd like to do, but obviously you've got to narrow in on, on something and get her done. Uh, what's the initial focus going to be? Yeah, well, like I said, it's, uh, it's gathering people, ideas, and money. And uh, 
Pricing uh, is number one uh, on my personal list because I'm in the business of uh, collecting money for restoration contractors and also uh, raising money. So fundraising and pricing are the, uh, the main initial points we're looking at right now, but there's so much more. Very good. Gentlemen, we're going to stop and thank our sponsors. We'll be back in 90 seconds with the second half of our interview. We've got the restoration lawyer, Ed Cross, Charlie Cassani, and Dave Robbins talking about the maturing of the industry and the rise of the Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee at the Restoration Industry Association. IAQ Radio Platinum Sponsor is John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Gold sponsors are Particles Plus Engineers and Manufacturers, a feature-rich particle counters and air quality monitoring instrumentation. Learn more at ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at HealthyIndoors.com. And AEML Laboratories, free FedEx shipping, great pricing, same-day results, and never a rush fee. Learn more at AEMLinc.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at WolfSense.com. Association sponsors are the Indoor Air Quality Association, a multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Learn more at iaqa.org and RIA, the Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders. Learn more at restorationindustry.org. Siri, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at siriscience.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. Okay, we're back for the second half. We've got Ed Cross, Charlie Cassani, and Dave Robbins. Ed, I want to I want to get a quick question in for you. Um RIA has a, a real nice membership, and uh, I, I forget the number of it. It's not important at the moment. But I understand, um, you know, from my understanding of the industry, a large segment of the industry are franchises. Uh, and I'm wondering what you're doing to reach out to the franchise operations to assist with this AGA uh, Government Affairs Committee. Uh, we are well underway with that, Joe. I'm glad you asked that question as well. It's very, very important uh, for the franchisors to get on board with that. Uh, we are having uh, conferences at the executive level uh, with some of these franchisors and others will be coming soon to help uh, them understand with a little bit more detail about what we're pursuing and how it's actually going to help them as well as their franchisees. And the goal is not just to put more money in the contractor's pockets, as I mentioned uh, in our last show, but rather to achieve a level playing field so it's fair for everyone. And, um, you know, sometimes the contractors are making the mistakes, sometimes adjusters are making mistakes, uh, but we need to shine the light of day on these issues and try to get them ironed out. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Okay, Charlie, I've got a question for you. How is RIA reaching out to the thousands of contractors that are unaffiliated and are not members of RIA or members of a regional organization or, or whatever? You know, uh, Cliff, I'm not sure that RIA is reaching out to those folks. Um, I think it happens on a local level. We have a lot of local organizations like I was, um, I participated in one in Northern California back in the 80s. Uh, and so I'm not, other than that, I'm not sure that there's a, a big outreach program involved at this point. Uh, uh, maybe Dave has some other data on that. Uh, I think the Midwest is a little bit more involved uh, in uh, local organizations. Well, we're establishing a major uh, social media presence. 
And uh, it's happening on Facebook. It's happening on LinkedIn. It's happening on the RIA uh, content hub. It's happening uh, with all of the major publications. We're in a very unique uh, position with what the AGA has here, unlike anything I've seen in the decades that I've been involved uh, in this industry, because we've got universal agreements across the board with all the major publishers that they're gonna cross publish the reports uh, that come out of our committee. So you're gonna be seeing the reports, the identical reports appearing in Cleaning and Restoration Magazine, in Restoration and Remediation Magazine, in Clean Facts. And I've never known of any situation where they have all non-exclusively uh, shared that kind of information and put it out. They see it as something that's so important to the industry uh, that, that we're going to have blanket coverage with that. Very good. Okay, and, um, you know, you're kind of on a roll. Um, <laughs> how much money that's do we... job, Cliff. <laughs> well, how much money do we need to raise before we can hire a lobbyist, and when would you project that milestone uh, to occur? Yeah, you know, um, the, the first thing that we have to establish, Cliff, is exactly what we're going to be lobbying for. And we are in the process of evaluating the options and looking at uh, individual states where we can score some wins early on and, and what particular issues uh, we should be focusing on. And I hope that the listeners will send uh, emails to me at edcross at edcross.com regarding issues that they think um, need to be addressed. If there's an unfair law in your particular jurisdiction that you think needs to be addressed, you know, tell us what that is. We're going to take a look at it, and then we're going to shop for a lobbyist in, uh, in that particular jurisdiction who has relationships with legislators who are sensitive to the needs of businesses. You know, so many of these states, we have legislators that are so keenly focused only on consumers. And we're going to help people understand that by helping restoration contractors, they're also helping uh, consumers. So different uh, lobbyists in different states are going to have different fees depending on how grand the vision is and what we're, uh, we're going to be pursuing. And um, we're going to be making serious progress on that in the near future. But it's important to understand that, that, from the point of conception to the point of actual legislation is a, is a long process. All right. We have to, we have to crawl before we walk. I understood. Is the cost of uh, state lobbying significantly less than national lobbying or is it all pretty much the same? You know, it's, it really depends on so many different variables. Uh, I don't really think you can compare it that way, but I think the important thing to understand is that um, most of the issues that affect restorers are state laws rather than federal laws. We're going to be looking at the federal side as well, uh, but in terms of what restorers are facing in the trenches every day, in terms of oppressive, overly consumer-friendly legislation, that's, that's almost predominantly on the state level, not federal. Yeah, let, let me ask, a, throw something out, and any one of you can jump in here, but um, hiring lobbyists is not cheap, and, and obviously you've, you've got some goals on using lobbyists, but the, the insurance industry, I think, I could be wrong, will always be able to out-lobbyist you. They'll, they'll be able to hire more lobbyists. Do you have any plans for um, putting together a program of some type to get to the members so that they kind of become lobbyists themselves. It seems to me that, that, that the membership going to their state legislator, et cetera, may be a less expensive way to help lobby on the state level than hiring a lobbyist. Does that make any sense to you, Ed, Charlie, uh, Dave? Yeah, I think it's important for the constituents in a given jurisdiction to convey their support for some uh, specific move uh, to their legislator, to their senator, to their, to their congressperson, all right? But these are technical issues that require special expertise. And, um, you know, I'm not going to hire uh, a dentist to do my open heart surgery or my gardener to prepare my taxes, okay? They, we're all going to work together. And the, the anecdotes that come from restorers, I think, will be very effective to help the lobbyists advocate for their cause. 
Ed, you know, one of the things you were looking for uh, was ideas, and I'll give you a free one. You okay. Know, if, if you went to one of these states that had some egregious law, uh, you know, that affected restoration contractors, and you had hundreds of restoration contractors send the truck to the capital uh, of that state, you know, when they were in session and keep driving around the building, you know, something tells me, you know, the news is going to pick it up and, you know, that someone would be sympathetic to the story, you know. Circle the wagons. Yeah, I mean, this is all about getting the word out. <laughs> right. And uh, we're doing big and splashy things that RAA has never done before. And uh, I love the idea. You know, I, I love the idea of restorers in a given market boycotting a TPA to send yeah. a message. And I don't know if, if anybody's going to step up and, uh, and take that on. You know, I understand the business constraints and, and companies get, you know, dependent on, on this TPA work or this, uh, this program work. But um, that, that would be a great visual symbol, and I love the idea, Cliff. All right, cool. Joe? I'd like to either Charlie and or Dave, why don't we throw this out to both of you? What are the what are the main issues you see in your business that you feel need to be addressed by a, a group like the Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee? I'll start with you, Charlie. Um, you know, uh, Joe, I, I'm in a unique position. I'm actually an employee of a company rather than an employer. So um, what I see is that the, uh, some of the program work, we do a lot of it at RMC, um, gets a little skewed by the uh, adjusters and sometimes the, the uh, TPAs. Uh, but um, I think by and large, um, until you know, we've identified some of the issues, you know, in California, we have a number of issues and Ed can talk to those. We tried putting together a lobbying group before. And so he can talk to that whole idea, but uh, I don't know that we've identified um, enough of the real issues at this point, besides what we, you know, Ed, Ed's already stated. Okay. And um, I don't, yeah, we, um, we're in a unique position. We've done, you know, we've grown our uh, large loss division substantially, um, you know, and that's the more time and materials work. So the program work uh, is the day-to-day -day stuff and we go after the larger stuff, but by and large, um, I think uh, Ed might have a better handle on that, especially in California. Well, let's start with that, Ed, and then I want to go to Dave and give you a moment to think about say, some maybe midwet or uh yeah, I guess, uh, well, you're in the Tennessee in that area. I don't know what we call that. Mid-South. Mid-South, thank you. Ed, go there ahead. Let's go. start California, and then, Dave, I want to see what your specific issues are in the Mid-South. Well, uh, California is a very, very pro-consumer state. And one of the things, I mean, I could give you 20 examples of some of the problems, but here's just a quick one right off the top. In order to do residential work in the state of California, you have to have a fixed price lump sum contract in writing signed by the customer before any work can begin. That includes emergency service work. You show up at three o'clock in the morning and the little old lady from Pasadena is standing knee deep in sewage. You don't know if it's going to take you seven days to do that job or 17 days to do that job. The state of California expects you to put a price on that. Okay. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. All right, so I tell restorers, and I want to send the word out to everybody who's in a state right now that requires a fixed price lump sum contract up front. When you're doing emergency service work, do not write a scope of work that says you will return the property to its pre-loss condition if you don't know what that price is going to be. Instead, what you can do much more easily is tell Mrs. Jones that you think based on your experience, you could get the job substantially completed in seven days. And here's the price for seven days of service. If it's not done, there will be an additional charge after that. But the state of California requires me to put a price in this uh, contract, even though I don't know what it's going to be. And, and consumers can understand that and they can relate to that. One thing that we should take a look at is getting an emergency service exception, at least for 24 hours or something, so at least the work can begin 
and a project manager can come out and evaluate the progress of the drawing and come up uh, with a price that's more meaningful. Excellent example, Ed. That helps me a lot. Dave, what about a local issue in your area with uh, anything in particular that your company runs across that you'd like to see this type of committee address? Oh, ab- absolutely. And we're going to hit this head on. The, the, the biggest issue that companies like mine uh, deal with on a day-to-day basis, because we don't uh, deal with TPAs, if you don't do program work, is uh, the problem with the building consultants today, their model, the way that their uh, strategies and their tactics are, are planned and executed. It is um, it is beyond unethical in, um, in a lot of areas. As a matter of fact, I would even say that it, that it borders on, uh, on being even illegal, or at least it seems that way. And, and, and let me tell you what I mean by that. Well, please explain. Um, more. Thank you. A- a- absolutely. We'll get, um, we'll, we'll get a, we'll get on a large loss. Um, we'll get a project started. We'll have an agreement, a contract uh, with our with our owner, with the end user. Uh, we'll begin working with the insurance company. We'll get an agreed scope of repairs, an agreed price that the contract is based on. Uh, we'll get the job well underway, and in the third quarter of the game, the building consultant will arrive. When the building consultant arrives in the third quarter of the game, he now wants to review, he wants to audit the work that's been done. And at that point, he wants to renegotiate pricing. Now, of course, when you're dealing with large loss projects, the property side of the, of the damages is, is not, or the property side of the loss is not the driving uh, force. It's not the driver for the loss. The driver for that loss is business interruption. So every step of the way, we're not just encouraged, but we're pushed to push that job for completion so that we can minimize the BI. And at the end of the job, the third quarter, the fourth quarter of the job, and all the work is finished and the building consultant has uh, audited and reviewed and wants to revise the pricing, at that point, you literally have to, um, uh, you have to make concessions that look very similar to buying your check at the end of the job. I think that I speak for everybody in the industry that does what we do. Um, the time is now to stop this, these types of tactics. And this is very much a strategy that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. You have to make concessions assuming you don't want to litigate. Right. Exactly. 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 Dave, these, would it help if it was required that if you're going to bring in this building consultant, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm misunderstanding that term. Um, is that like an IEP an indoor environmental professional? No, 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 no not at all. But, th- but they are, they do call themselves third party consultants, but they act very much like first party consultants. They act very much. It, it, it's here, here's a, here's a good analogy. Uh, it's a good cop, bad cop. They send the adjuster in. He's the good cop. The building consultant is the bad cop. Uh, and you, you you play very nice with the adjuster and everything's going smoothly. And then, again, at the third quarter, you know, in the third, you know, in the, 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 the bottom of the night, they send in the, uh, the building consultant. And now you've got to, you know, fight your way uh, uh, out of the end of the job uh, just to get paid. And in many instances, depending on the size of the loss, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're not just asking you to concede, but they're expecting it. And they're holding your check hostage in order to get what they need or what they want. Now, just to help me understand a little better, would it help if, if, if the, they were going to bring in a building consultant or, or third party of some type, would it help if that was required to be right at the beginning of the job? Well, you know, that's in some instances that does happen. And I'm not here saying that all building consultants function in this capacity, but I am saying that it seems to be more of a trend in the industry, um, something that we run into all the time. But yes, building consultants, we know now that if a loss rises to a certain level, like say, depends on the carrier, if you get a loss that's over 100,000 or over 250,000, uh, chances are a building consultant is going to be brought in to uh, be part of the claims handling team. 
could I jump in here real quick with something I think is very important. Uh, there are now building consultants who work for the contractor. And Justin Willits is a great example of that. I think there's a phenomenal business opportunity out there, particularly for veteran restorers and project managers, people nearing retirement, people who are interested in becoming uh, consultants or maybe slowing down in their career a bit to, to become the consultant who works for the contractor to counteract what we're seeing because we're kind of outnumbered. You've got an adjuster, you may have a TPA involved or uh, a building consultant, and then you've got a contractor standing there alone uh, getting beat up by these people. Hire your own building consultant to go talk to their guy. Gotcha. But then that's going to cost you, right? I mean, you can't charge that back to the insurance company, or can you? Well, yeah, it's going to cost you. It probably doesn't make sense on, on small losses to do it. Uh, but the point is, we have to show uh, that we are willing to fight fire with fire. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cliff, hey, hey let, let me let me add one last let me add one last thing to that, if I may. Uh, yes, it will it will cost you, but it won't cost nearly as much as the loss you're going to take if you if you concede to what the building consultant is trying to make you um, concede. Exactly. I see, and that was Dave. Pay for themselves. Yeah, just like a good lawyer will. Charlie, you want to add anything to that? That was very interesting for me. I, uh, I, I'm aware that this happens, but I, I was kind of more aware of like after you're done, you get this final invoice in, and then the insurance company sends it to someone to review that final. That's kind of what I thought you were talking about, or is that one and the same? You know, it, I only get involved in those types of uh, – situations uh, after the fact uh, we um, and I just try to help out with the technical information and uh, most of the time that works uh, sometimes it doesn't but the bottom line to that is you have to be prepared to wait a long time to get paid the last one was about a year hmm. interesting Cliff, yeah. turn over. go ahead Ed do you want to add to that yeah I mean um, some of these consultants are turncoats who used to work for restoration companies and Absolutely. they know just enough to be dangerous. Uh, and sometimes they, you know, they're actually uh, on site and uh, they're looking at the job. But one big mistake they made that they cannot justify is not speaking to the contractor, not interviewing the first responder to find out, hey, tell us more about the condition you saw, uh, the extent of the loss. They're Monday morning quarterbacks and they're doing a disservice to everyone in the process. Interesting. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Well, the, the thing that bothers me the most is when someone utilizes their certified restore designation to be a PLB, which is a professional lowballer, because essentially <laughs> that's what these guys do, you know, after the fact. You know, they come in, uh, as Dave said, in the third quarter, and they want to see your time cards and you know, you know, how do we know you use this many gallons of paint? And, you know, there's too many paintbrushes. And it's just, it's horrible. Anyone that's been there, uh, just, you know, it's a gut-wrenching uh, experience. Because as Dave said, you know, everything is about reducing business interruption. That drives up costs. They, they want overtime. They want 24 hours. Uh, you know, round the clock service on weekends and on holidays and so on and so forth. And then the insurance companies don't want to pay the labor rates and so on and so forth. It's, uh, it's not a good position to be in. And I know it's hurt some companies financially and it's put some companies out of business. But again, I don't know where it's legal and I don't know why it was never litigated before or successfully litigated. It's because the industry's been too fragmented and we haven't gotten together to get our collective act together. And that day is over. Okay, good. Gentlemen, I, I, we're running a little low on time here and there's one more question I want to make sure we, we ask before uh, we ask our final question, question, which is always if you'd like to add anything. But um, the, the AGA committee is about six weeks old now. What can you guys you know, we, you've got to build a little excitement. You've got to get people interested. You've got to get them to volunteer. You've got to get them to put in some money. What can you tell them you've done so far in six short weeks that will get them a little bit excited about this, uh, this committee? Uh, we've, we've raised money. We've gotten uh, 
dozens and over a hundred different uh, submissions from people about the ideas uh, that they want addressed. We've launched the pricing uh, subcommittee that Dave is handling. We've launched the uh, fundraising subcommittee uh, with Warner Cruz that um, uh, Charlie is also on. And um, we've got uh, some excellent coverage. If everybody would please go on to restorationindustry.org. Uh, across the top banner there, there's a button for advocacy. And if you go on there, you click on that, you're gonna see more about what we've done and how you can get involved. Many hands make light work, and it's really important that we take advantage of strength in numbers. There are thousands of restoration companies across the country, and we're not asking for a gargantuan contribution of time or money from any of them. There's a commitment card that you'll see on the website there, which has some boxes for people to check. If they can make some phone calls, if they can invest a little bit of money, there's a, there's a box on there that every single restoration company in the country can check. There's something that you can do, even if it's small, the aggregate of this is gonna add up to something very powerful. Please go on to restorationindustry.org and click on the advocacy menu. And we also put the link to that advocacy menu on the show announcement right under the name of today's show. Cliff, anything you'd like to uh, ask before? Yeah, yeah, one other thing, you know, Ed, uh, another suggestion for you. You know, I, I think it is all about advocacy, but, you know, sometimes the best way to get there is for people to know that you're going there. And it would seem to me that somehow uh, public relations uh, would be a way to get there. Uh, you know, consider having some sort of budget for it or some committee assigned to it or, or whatever, because, um, you know, it's just an excellent way to do it. It's a lot less expensive than advertising. It's probably a lot less expensive than lobbying as well. Well, but, but we've got hundreds of people all over the country that are posting all over social media and getting the word out. And we're, you know, we're asking them to call two friends and for them to call two friends. And this is a very much a grassroots effort. And uh, I, am, I am really impressed uh, with the momentum that's been established so far. And I really want to uh, extend my sincere thanks to the members of the committee, to Charlie and Dave, uh, and, and to Mark Springer, who's been kind of the architect of this. He's absolutely brilliant. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where this is going to go. I'm very optimistic. It's obvious, Ed. It's good to hear. Gentlemen, before we go, we always like to give the last word to our guests. Let's start with you, Charlie. Any final thoughts, anything we missed that you'd like to add or anything you'd like to say at all? No, I think it's a, it's a work in progress, Joe and Cliff, and uh, I'm just delighted that Ed's involved because his energy and his time spent and his expertise really is helping move this thing forward. So I think it, at this point in time, it's, uh, I'm pretty pleased with what's happening. I'm happy to be involved. Thank you for joining us today, Charlie. We really appreciate it. Dave Robbins, uh, anything you'd like to add? Well, I'll make mine short and sweet. The AGA is, is set up and committed to plow the road for every restore from coast to coast. So more than anything else, we need everyone's support and resources. Thank you, Dave. And Ed, I'd like to give you the last word. I okay. want the last word after Ed. Go ahead. Yeah, the last word. All right. Uh, thank you very much again for the, uh, the opportunity to be here and for the energy that IAQ uh, Radio has put behind this. I want everybody to uh, really consider the fact that the Restoration Industry Association is the industry's oldest and, and largest association. It's the best suited to take on this charge. Like any uh, old association, it's had its warts and blemishes in the past. We need to put the past in the past and focus on what we can do in the future. We've got over 1,100 member firms worldwide. We're really hoping to increase that. And I want to urge everybody who hasn't been there before, once again, to go on to restorationindustry.org and read a little bit about what your Restoration Industry Association is doing for you. Thank you, Ed. Cliff, you get the final word today. Okay. Uh, what I need you to do is get the graphics person on the RIA webpage to change the button that you press the blue. Okay? 
because I, I'm excited about the new testosterone that's uh, in RIA, and the blue button will remind people about the little blue pill. <laughs> All right, Cliff. All right. Oh, my. Thank you. Gentlemen, I want to thank you all. Ed Cross, Charlie Cassani, Dave Robbins. Uh, a great show, guys, and um, I think a really admirable uh, admirable task you are all taking on here. RIA's Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee. also want to thank John. you got to have faith that the controls. My co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, will be back next Friday at noon. And also, of course, our growing group of loyal listeners uh, back next Friday at noon, June 21st, with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.